Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land, and welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Today is part two of our sit-down with famed author David Koenig, uh, author, Disney historian, maker of artisanal pickles. Uh, all right, one of those things isn't true. Uh, but we chat more about his books this time, uh, what the most sued attractions at the park are, and thoughts about Disney, Star Wars, Autopia. You know, it's always a great time chatting with David. Now, I don't want to overshadow how great of a guest that he is, but today is a super exciting podcast for another reason. On October 1st, we launched the Kickstarter for Jungle Rummy, the first card game produced by us Jungle Cruise folks. We are new at the whole Kickstarter thing, so we didn't really know what the response would be, but uh, we funded in the first 45 hours, and the project is currently at 130% funding with three weeks left to go. Now, Jungle Rummy is an old-style rummy game that plays in the same vein as Uno, but there's some nice little jungle twists in there. There's competitive play. Uh, It's very fast-paced, but it's easy enough to learn that anyone can pick it up, like uh, 12 to up or so. It has a great art style. We think it's a super fun game. Now, you can find it on Kickstarter, kickstarter kickstarter.com. Just search Jungle or Jungle Rummy. And we have all kinds of great rewards, including exclusive T-shirts, as well as some stretch goals to really help the game shine. Uh, the Kickstarter is going to be going until October 30th. Uh, you know, we love the podcast, and it is our number one priority. But we want to keep sharing some other forms of skippertainment with you. I, I love that word, skippertainment. Mm. Also, if you go and support the Kickstarter, it also helps support the podcast. And it helps us fund our bandwidth and uh, getting interviews with some really great guests. So please take a look, share it with your friends who love the jungle or your friends who love games. Or your friends who love games about the jungle, if they're that specific, they're going to love this. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show, and this Kickstarter has been a lot of fun. We really hope you guys will head over and take a look at it. All right, here we go, Season 5, Episode 7, the second half of our interview with David Koenig in an episode we like to call David Koenig's Lawsuit Land, Part 2. Kungaloosh, everyone. in, in uh, trying when you have such a high ratio of success yeah. uh, when you flop they flop big right 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 you know Lone Ranger John Carter mm-hmm. so yeah. um, do you I mean what do you see I mean since you you know you kind of have uh, an ear to the ground to a lot of people about uh, the things that are happening and then the you know Star Wars obviously is not going to be instant they haven't said anything about timelines all they've said is we're going to do something uh, and this is how roughly big it's going to be, and there's going to be a couple attractions. But they haven't. We're not going to get details for a long time because they don't know. You know, I don't think they have everything precisely ironed out, and they don't want to come out of the gate and then have to change something down the road. Um, but I mean, do you see that thematically? I mean, does, does it in 15 years will we look at that and it'll be another Indiana Jones where it just integrates seamlessly into the park? 
Yeah, I don't know if you'll ever get to that point just because of where it is, you know, being behind <laughs> Frontierland and in that back corner next to Fantasyland and, and, you know, just off of the rivers of America. And it's just, it sort of seems like an odd uh, flavor for the park there. I mean, obviously toward... You know the sci-fi feel of Tomorrowland makes more sense, but but, but Star know, Wars that's not where the land was. Well, and also, and this is something that I I've always said: Star Wars isn't science fiction; it's fantasy. Yeah, but I, it's it's, I don't it's, know, it's, it's set it's set in a place where there's you know space wizards and space swords, and you know rather than dragons, they've got spaceships. But at the root of it, it doesn't have a science. It has a science fiction setting, right. but it's really not a science fiction movie. No, but uh, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, Finding Nemo's not about uh, Tomorrowland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not science fiction. So I think it's just more of an over... Uh, how to, and, and what's important in a theme park attraction, most important, to mm-hmm. me anyway, is the setting. The environment is... Uh, you know, if we were having a movie museum, maybe it would fit more in the fantasy section. But as far as uh, a theme park where that environment that you walk through, I mean, that, and that's even why they're building this whole thing is the, the success of Universal's Harry Potter area mm-hmm. and the success of their own Cars Land, I think really took them by surprise saying, if we build you know, an old lesson that Tony Baxter and people learned the hard way decades before, is that if you build an expansive environment that makes people think that they've really just stepped into that movie or into that cartoon or into that, you know, uh, long ago period of, of you know, a faraway uh, civilization or stuff, that's how it really works. You know, that that brings out the best mm-hmm. in a theme park, and you know, so that to me is the most the most important thing, and that that puts it. You know, to me, firmly, it has that feel of yeah. spaceships and, and, and yeah. So, is it, I mean, I I have to think it's kind of going to be a berm within a berm. I mean, I you know, it kind of is its own little entity that is going to feel. You're going to walk, and you're not going to see Tomorrowland or right. Fantasyland, or you know, they'll probably. I don't even know with that angle, you know, whether you're going to get a lot of Matterhorn or Castle, but I mean, I imagine they're going to build it up on the edges so when you're back there that's all you're going to see like how Toontown right right with Toontown you don't see anything outside of Toontown when you're in Toontown and I have to imagine that's that's going to be their goal I think that's a a great I didn't think of that but I'm I'm certain you're you're right because at least uh, you know there are people who are overseeing the art direction of Disneyland who still care about those things yeah (laughs) and that's I think that there's you know for as much as I've had moments of cynicism with the podcast uh, I still think there's great people that are are have as much concern of the history and lore, but they do have to work with these legal. See, I'm bringing it back around, right, 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 with all these legal challenges and what the the changes in culture. I, you know, I think with uh, Harry Potter opens in 2016 at Universal. You know, the right. Gibson is torn is in the process of being torn down. Uh, if it's not already all the way down, so I mean, it's it's going to be a short reality before we. Uh, you know, turn that around here in Hollywood, and I, I do think that they had to, to do something. Yeah, and that's why, it, and I know everybody else is talking five years, five years. I think it's going to be quicker. Yeah. And I think I'm the only one who thinks that, but I just have, knowing what's spurring them to do this, yeah. which is Harry Potter down the street, is uh, they have to act now, and that's why they've already laid out plans to, to close the ranch by the end of the year, and and uh, you know other things. If if they weren't breaking ground for another three years or two years, you know they wouldn't be shutting down. They wouldn't be removing yeah. capacity that quickly. So I think 
Although the barbecue is not the, the highest capacity. <laughs> no, but I mean, it does take people. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, that's why all the rumors going around, um, everybody knew a Star Wars land was coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the worst kept secret. But all the rumors were Tomorrowland um, because it just makes sense to a lot of people. Um, or Toontown because it's a hole of death right now. I mean, that's yeah. to talk it's, about the biggest effects of lawsuits and lawyers. I mean, that is the you know the, but the land that lawsuits yeah. <laughs> destroyed. I, I said this on one of the other uh, podcasts. I'm looking forward to uh, Jar Jar's bounce house uh, <laughs> and the uh, the Darth Vader younglings meet and greet. It's I mean, be, it could be. You know, Vader does really well with small children. I saw that in the movie. Yeah, he, really, yeah. he had a way with them. Very good. No, but I mean. If they would have done either of those options, yeah. um, they would have removed capacity at the from the park, right. and that's right. the last thing they can do right now. With you know, like you said, a million annual pass holders and you know record attendance, mm-hmm. you know, seventeen, eighteen million, something, something insane amount. So even though the capacity of the park yeah. is less than it was uh, ten, fifteen years ago, we're getting millions more people a year shoved in there. So I, I didn't quite see how they were going to start, yeah. you know, shutting down parts of it. Yeah. Well, I think that's why they, you know, they they bought a lot of that adjacent property so that they could move the things from backstage, right, right some level that over to there. Do, sure. Uh, you know, and then they bought the the carousel hotel. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the things I heard that was really interesting. Um, I don't generally do a lot of gossipy stuff, but I, this one kind of made sense. Was tear the carousel down and put a footbridge over the top of harbor that uh, goes directly to the parking structure at Dumbo uh, so that that way you don't have to cross Harbor wow. and you don't have an area where people can be hawking uh, non-Disney <laughs> product so it keeps people in that loop. They're kind of stuck more in the, yes. uh, and the they Disney could, merchandise. And they could put little, those little downtown Disney kiosks during yeah. the whole oh, way. Absolutely. Places that could monetize you, the footbridge. Yes. <laughs> Well, you'd have to have you know at least you know some water stations because yes. it's. Uh, um, <laughs> do do you see? I mean, since you kind of immersed yourself in a different mindset about the legal aspects, I mean, do you? You don't have to say which ones there, but do you think that there are rides that in the next four or five years that once Star Wars is up that they'll shift other attractions out because of like you know long term safety impacts, Autopia, um, you know, or things that may have you know. Yeah, I you know what I wouldn't be surprised. I know I, I it would hurt me straight to my heart if they ever did get rid of Octopia because yeah. I mean how many things are left a that were there in the beginning that were basically Walt's ideas yeah. that are more or less there as they were, mm-hmm. and even more importantly, a hundred times more importantly than this, it's really popular. It is yeah. people. I know it's kids' first chance to drive a real car, yeah. and uh, you know that's where I learned to drive was on the Autopia. Yeah. It's resulted in many rear endings over the years. Yeah, well, you, you uh, carried that into your real life. Is yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> no, but so, so that's why it would be a yeah. shame to go. But obviously, that's the the if the lawyers had their way, that would have been gone 15 years ago. Yeah. Now you've got a list. I actually don't remember the, the top five uh, attractions that have garnered the most numerical lawsuits. Uh, but I do remember that Jungle Cruise was in the top five. So I'm proud of our... Yeah, I know Jungle Cruise was number five. Yeah. Uh, and Autopia was, I mean, it blew everything. It was like triple the amount of, of Jungle Cruise. But I don't know, in, in your years of working at Jungle Cruise, did you uh, oh, I, it's encounter any... Very big things. I, I, I tell the story about... Um, 
the guy who was getting into the boat wearing flip-flops on his cell phone with dark sunglasses and a hat, <laughs> and he missed his footing stepping into the boat, and his foot missed the stair and went all the way down to the bottom to the uh, floor yeah, of the boat, yeah. and it, it snapped his his oh, bone clear. I mean, it came right out of the skin, and oh, my I mean, gosh. it was a, a very ugly uh, situation. So, yeah, but I mean, I look at things like that, or I mean, I, I caught a kid... I, famously told this story when I was on a game show they they uh, I had mentioned it to my casting director who apparently right. told the producer but they didn't tell me they were going to ask me about it during the show and I wouldn't have said yes um, but they're in the middle of taping and Alfonso Ribeiro asks me about uh, so I heard you saved a kid's life at Disneyland one time and I'm like uh, what am I supposed to say yeah. and not get in trouble about but no no I, there was a kid who uh, I was unloading the boat in the back of the boat and this kid jumps out the back window part where the rudder used to be to try to jump around, and he missed the jump. And I, I literally caught his leg as he was going into the river wow. with his head down by where the propeller is. I mean, that's it's, the top of his hair got wet. Uh, and, you know, I, I wrenched my back out, but we kept him from going in the water. But, yeah, there was, there was a guy who fell out of the second-story balcony uh, of the boathouse. Really? And oh, I never heard of that one. Bounced off the tarp and fell into the water in the no man's land in between two boats that were spaced far enough away but he was uh, he had been over at California Adventure and was intoxicated mm. and he uh, dropped his sunglasses on the tarp thought he could reach over there and bounced right over into it so yeah i mean that's believe me i've seen you know i've seen everything i mean obviously there's a lot of moving parts yeah now when did when did you leave uh, uh, oh, 708 okay so that was big, this is, i think 2012 was the big yeah. the only real safety overhaul you know, yeah, widespread well, Disney. Well, and the the, the, the roping, race. you know, the tying the the boats off has cut the capacity in half. Right. So exactly. you have you have a ride that used to be able to to do a ten or fifteen minute wait line that regularly has forty to sixty minute waits. The upper queue is open all year round now. I mean, it's it's very rare that you don't have people upstairs in the day, right. daytime. So yeah, I mean, the capacity has. I mean, numerically, it, it has it to be really, half. In your opinion, add much of a difference roping it off? Because I know it's something from year from 1955. It's been something that that they've considered and kept putting off because I, they thought wasn't necessary. Well, the two things that happen is. You know, you hear these skippers, uh, and you've been on the ride, you know you've heard this, don't cross over the boxes. All right. Has been taught to every Jungle Cruise skipper for, you know, at least, you know, 20 years. They don't explain why. The trainers don't tell you why well enough, or if they do, it's they don't reinforce it, because I didn't pick up on the exact reasons why. The issue is, is you've got someone coming in the front load of the boat who's the first weight in the boat. Okay. And he jumps in the boat, and he jumps over the, bo- the boxes to go to the other side. The momentum of his coming down on that other side is going to throw him out the window. Oh. So because it's going gonna, it's gonna to put that other side of the boat, it's going to go down, and he's going to keep on going. There's no place to brace him. Wow. Uh, and then the problem also is, is that when you've done that, this is the dock here, and the boat goes... Tips. away from it, it opens a space in sure. between the boat and the dock. So look, you can have great skippers who know how to, who to how to stop a boat and how to keep it in the spot and make sure that everyone stays safe. We all did it every day. But the problem is, is you have some, you know, they put in the, the extra netting and rails on the outside of the boat right. so people couldn't put their hands out. You, you talk about in the book, they couldn't get their hands out to put in between the boat and the dock. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I mean there 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 are things, but I also sometimes wonder if 
a single isolated incident causes a major safety reaction that is um, a larger reaction than needs to happen. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it does because they the lawyers want them to to take it to safety and then yeah. keep keep going. <laughs> yeah. An extra good measure. I mean, there's a solution to it, and, and I I would hope. Uh, there, I'll, I'll tell you about it. The, the, off, once we are off the, uh, the, the thing, but I'll, I'll yeah, we don't want to entertain the listeners. That would, yeah, that no, would be no, a shame. no. Well, this one's not entertaining. This, oh. is, this is this is science. So we'll okay. talk about science. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so, what were the other rides in the top five? Uh, the, the other rides were uh, well. Number one was Octopia. Yep. Uh, number two was the Matterhorn bobsleds, mm-hmm. and that was mostly in the early years. Um, you know, because different than all other or most other mm-hmm. roller coasters at the time, which would have a train of cars, mm-hmm. you know, all linked together, like imagine California Screaming or such, right. or Big Thunder, Thunder Mountain. Exactly. Um, Walt didn't want a train of bobsleds. He wanted these individual bobsleds to look like, you know, mm-hmm. luges going down the mountain. So he wanted these individual cars and, and try, trying to time those in the 1959 you know, braking system in which the people, the operators actually in the station were controlling the the dispatch and the and the braking. I mean it just there's no way if they wanted to get, you know, nine vehicles going or such at one time that that they weren't gonna have some accidents happen. Mm-hmm. Um number three was Space Mountain. Yeah. Um just because that was the sort of the first computerized um uh roller coaster and there were some bugs to work yeah. out. There. Well, and, and Space Mountain is a timing thing, yeah. where you've got to feed those cars and get people out of them in such a, a precise window. Right. Uh, otherwise, the whole thing shuts down. Oh, you know, exactly. It's right. got to yeah. be. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who didn't want to work space because it is such a pressure cooker environment for the cast members. I, I turned down Thunder three times. Mm-hmm. They came to me on three separate occasions. One when I was at uh, Disney University, and they wanted me to go over to Thunder, and I just said, "Look, I'm not ever going to go." It's, it's, you know, Indy was enough for me. Indy had its challenges for me, even on that level of it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I had to have a second attraction, and yeah. And you know, it's interesting looking over this list, and, and number four confirms it. Going back to what you just mentioned, uh, it's the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Is the majority of the of the lawsuits on most of these attractions, not so much Autopia, but but the other ones are um, load and unload uh, incidents. They're not, I mean, you imagine an accident on the Jungle Cruise or on Space Mountain or on Haunted Mansion. Oh, what went wrong with the ride? It's not so much the ride, but it's the people climbing into and out of the vehicles is, uh, you know, especially when you don't want to get any sort of capacity is, can create a, a, you know, things can go wrong. Well, and I would imagine that as you get out of the 50s, the closer you get to modern day, uh, that there's there's a single explanation, which is uh, we as a country are are quite a bit larger than we used to be, <laughs> and we're not as nimble. You know, yeah. I, I look at the you know the the guy going in the '60s in his nice suit and tie, but he was still nimble. He was you know uh, fast. You know, but uh, unfortunately, I think we've gained a lot of weight, and I I know there's a lot of safety changes and lawsuits that have come because of guests who were uh, tipping the scales that were on the heavier side. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I I, I, I know. I didn't, thought of that about yeah. that but that i mean that makes perfect sense well i and i've i've heard of a number of guest complaints uh that, that someone wasn't able to be a comp i worked uh the orange stinger right you know i was there right as the park was opening and uh here's a great little story for your books you can use but uh, shaquille o'neal broke the ride before oh. before uh, the opening him and kobe bryant used to come down to the park before it opened 
in the mornings and ride the roller coasters. Oh. And they were early test subjects, I guess, or they, they just loved doing it. So um, I had to tell Shaq he couldn't ride on the Malaboomer because he, he was too tall between his hip and his shoulders to have the safety restraints go down. But he got put on the Orange Stinger. And the he he they didn't have enough weight distributed evenly around the ride, and he actually ended up bending the support bar oh at the goodness. top because his weight was the only really heavy weight that was on the ride, and it actually pulled the support wow. the support bar down. So yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm sure that you know that then they had to put in a 200 pound weight limit, and they told us as cast members we had to tell people that they looked like they weren't going to be able to fit the seats. Oh. I mean, things like that. Well, you remember right, at the start, it had yeah. uh, bees. It had the little uh, plastic sure. bees around it. They took those out so that because uh, people were getting stuck. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, they were, they were squeezing through that weight limit. I don't know. That's the exact reason. But that, right, was, our, right. that was what we assumed because we had to pry people out of them. <laughs> um, do uh, try to kick, make sure. I think we're wrapping. I think we're hitting um, You know, I know that, you know... Sorry, did you want to talk about more of the, the low, I did, low you thing? know what the the one no the one thing I did I did want to make sure we, we talked about because I want to do most of the listening on this um, because you've talked to how many Jungle Cruise skippers oh, I mean, God, all the ones you work with we're and, well over a hundred and your hundred that you've interviewed and and uh, we're at hundred and twenty ish episodes now. wow no that's fantastic yeah. but. Uh, especially going back to the early days and now. I guess a lot of those are reruns. Never mind. It's more like 100. I guess some of those are reruns. Yeah, 100 and and all the ones, uh, you know, who who are yet to be, who you know already. So, I mean, you've spoken with hundreds of Jungle Cruise skippers. And one thing that I wonder is that the lawsuits, in addition to the effect on the guest and the effect on employees as far as if they get fired or something like that, but just the daily working conditions of a ride like the Jungle Cruise and knowing that, you know, they're more likely to get into legal trouble <laughs> if they behave well, in ways that they did in the Mouse Tales days. Well, let's, I mean, yes. I mean, I, I've, I think I've promoted a skipper lifestyle, you know, that we've talked about the fact that during various periods it was the Wild Boys and a, a fraternity. Um, I think the bigger issue is not that. I think that the the plague... That is haunt, haunting Jungle Cruise skippers since the late aughts is is your cell phones. Mm. Uh, everyone's got a cell phone that records video, and every skipper is standing up in front of twenty people who are all recording him. Wow! And at some point, those videos are going up on YouTube, and at some point, someone at Disney Legal is scouring for Disney footage. They, and they have to. I mean, I can't imagine that they don't have someone who is looking at social media from a uh, putting out fires standpoint. And I, I know a lot of skippers, and I, I've heard this very strongly in the last two years. Uh, they stick to the script a lot more because they're terrified. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I was told that there's at least a conversation every week to two weeks with someone about their spiel that is, is happening from an exterior angle. Wow. So, I mean, there's, you know... Uh, there's this fear. I mean, there's, an, there's a genuine fear that people don't want to go off script because they know that it's out there somewhere. Mm. That, you know, the, the video footage is there in some place. But, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that you've got the people filling the jungle up with bubble soap off the <laughs> Schweitzer Falls so the right, bubbles right. are at mid-height. Or you don't have the people jumping in the hippo pool with a rubber knife 
partially because I, I don't I, I would never want to be in that water. Oh. Uh, it's a it's a breeding ground and ducks poop in it and you know it is it's pretty nasty. But uh, yeah, no, no, I, I think that you're always going to have people who are going to make interesting choices with their. Uh, inexperience in life you know they're young they're full of hormones they want to show off to people and they do you know yeah that's always going to be there but i I actually think people um i think that there's a a fear at least on the jungle cruise side i mean they're they're out there they're having fun they're doing the stuff that they that they do but i I don't think it's ever going to be the wild and crazy you know jungle cruise I, i don't i just don't think it can happen yeah, yeah, it's just a, it's sort of, sort of a shame. I mean, yeah. I, that was that was just a, a, such an allure to me of thinking that on this trip anything could happen. Yeah, and well, uh, you know, we're we're apart from management. We're alone. You know, thirty eight guests or whatever it is, and and the skipper who's this. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure that mad. yeah, I'm sure that in the tens of thousands of trips that I took, I mean, it's I did the math at one point, but it's a huge amount. Um, I'm sure that I said things that, that were on the borderline of offending people, but not out of intention, right. out of, you know, saying words the wrong way or, you know, uh, the, but I always tried to be really clear of staying in the spirit of the jungle mm-hmm. and in the spirit of, I use a lot of puns and a lot of, you right, know, right. I, I didn't go for the, the base humor. Um, you know, I, I always preferred wordplay, but, uh, yeah, I, I, among other things, among you know the fact that I couldn't do a podcast and all the other things I couldn't right. do, I, I don't know that I would go back right now. Uh, maybe when I'm older and financially secure, and I wouldn't have to worry about you know any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, right now it, it it doesn't have the appeal to me that it did because of the the visibility. Right. Well, in its defense, I will say that uh, over this past summer, I've uh, a couple of trips I've taken have been you know extremely highly entertaining. Oh yeah, among, among the best trips i've ever had and you know some not very <laughs> good trips as well well look uh, when they jungle's a new hire attraction now oh people that's their first ride they wow. work and that's been that way for for 10 15 years mm. um it's not like it used to be where jungle you transfer in you'd have to have worked somewhere else in the park before you get over to jungle that was how it was in the 70s and and, and early 80s uh but you know now it's it's the first job that a lot of 19-year-olds have. And wow. do you expect someone who's 19 or 20 years old in college to be able to uh, take a place where they're randomly assigned? And some people fit and some people don't. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to have great skips and there's people who, who really, you know, hit the home runs. And then there's people that just don't really fit. Yeah, which is too bad because yeah. it's, uh, it's, you know, the spotlight is on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a... Somebody who's not that great who's pushing the buttons on Dumbo, you know, they can disappear fairly easy into a guest day. But if you've got a oh, yeah, a yeah. really good or a really bad skipper, that they're going to remember that till the time they leave. Well, and look, skippers are skippers are hugely for what they do underpaid. They're being paid, you know, base union rate for attractions when they're fifty percent entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that skippers should have been on the interventions pay rate. Hmm. Uh, back when that was a premium, you right. know, because they are having to, to entertain, they are you know being coached on their on their presentation and style. It isn't just you know safety and queuing up the line. It, there's there's a entertainment element to it that's not there in other parts of the park. At least when done right. Yeah, but let's talk about good jokes because I think we're with where this episode is going to come out in our timeline. 
Uh, it's going to be right before Skipper Stand-Up. Oh. Uh, there's another, since we saw you last at the uh, the one in July. Right. Uh, we have another one coming up. Not I shouldn't say we. Dave Marley, Skipper Dave Marley, who was amazing at organizing these, uh, and his cadre of uh, hilarious uh, individuals uh, are doing another show in October, October 2nd, I want to say, at the Brea Improv. What, what day of the week is it on? Do you know? Is it Sunday again? The Sunday would be the 4th. I... You know, I don't know. I, and maybe I, I have that, the date. I think that's when it is. Yeah, but it's um, is it Sunday the 4th? I think so. Um, but yeah, so that's coming up soon. And so you guys want to check out uh, facebook.com slash skipper show. Uh, I think is Dave's webpage for it. So there will be tickets available. They sold it out last time. So as soon as they're available at the improv, I would, I would snatch them up. It was a, a really great show the last time. Uh, really good energy. When you have a room of 300 receptive uh, audience members uh, stand up tends to really do well, so uh, I want to make sure. Since yeah, highly recommend it. It's, it's yeah. a blast. I've been probably about maybe about eight shows, and I wish it were wish it were all of them because it's always a great time. Well, I, and I think it's good that they keep it to like three a year because I, I think that you know that's one of those things that it's good to have the novelty of uh, a full room who's always engaged in it rather than having it be monthly or something. Well, no, that I, I love how uh, how Marley's been able to. Uh, every show I've seen, they've used someone new, and I don't know if that's every single show they've ever done or just the ones I've been lucky enough to so, do. Someday I'll some get the favorites. Call. Someday I'll get the call. Did, someday. Are you ready? Are you? Uh, would oh, you I, do it? I I did two years of stand up. I mean, I I've. I've then, how come you've never been in the show? Uh, it's just timing and things haven't worked out. But I mean, I know I would love to. I mean, I've I um actually I got to say seeing the shows again got my writing bug going. Mm. So I actually been putting together material again. I did an open mic a few, yeah, maybe a month ago. Oh wow, so, this is interesting. Yeah, I had a little PTSD after doing two years of stand up yeah. during the early '90s when I was in college. It was the comedy boom, and uh, man, I was I was you know cranking it. I would do one uh, Spokane, Seattle. They didn't have a big comedy scene, but uh, I, I would do two sets a night. Sometimes wow. I'd do an open mic at one, then I'd go do a you know a late night at a different one, and uh, yeah, it takes a lot out of you. It's, um, yeah, I can, it looks like uh, uh, intensive work, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, but no, but yeah, it's once you get the bug, it's it's hard to get out of your system. But uh, yeah, hopefully, the modern medicine will come up with a cure for that at some point <laughs> soon. So, um, you know, I I know that uh, we don't like saying which of our children uh, is our most popular. You know, that's always a bad thing to say. But my question is, do you like your books more than your children? That's no, that's actually not <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, uh, I, I got the sense from reading your latest book, The People vs. Disney. We should also say, you know, Amazon, I think. Yeah, you're, you're Amazon's a great place a to get it. A number one bestseller within travel guidebooks or travel industry. Okay, super. It was uh, number uh, one in the category. Thank you, so, Amazon. Uh, and I think you were 23,000th in overall sales. Okay, but, all right. But, hey, number one in a category is still, you're still number yeah. one. I, I like it. Um, but it, it felt to me like... Uh, I've always enjoyed all your writing. I mean, I, I, there's not a, anything you've written that I haven't thought was was great. This felt different to me. Did it feel different to you on the writing side? I mean, there was just there was well, a different uh, connection here. Yeah, a little bit, just because it was more of a, 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 a little more coming at it from the from the outside um, rather than the inside, trying to bring in the opinions and and insight of people who weren't employees, mm-hmm. who weren't the inside. And so it, it did a little bit, but by the time I was done, it, to me it felt like a perfect um, bookend. You know, sort of well, bookend, yeah. In that, in that, the the three books, uh, uh, 
you know, to me that stand out as most unique that I've done have been Mouse Tales, um, and then Reality Land, which is a book about sort of the inside story of of Walt Disney World in Florida, and then this one. It's sort of like a, a, a trilogy, I see it, which I didn't see it until I was talking to a reporter for the register and we were talking about sort of overlook, overview looking back at it. I mean, it sort of hit me that, um, you know, Mouse Tales was all about Disney, you know, creating this something that's really magical, that's the opposite mm-hmm. <laughs> of reality land. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, fantasy land and doing whatever it took to keep reality from from coming over the berm and invading, uh, you know, this this fantasy world, and then Reality Land was Disney going, wow, we we did you know fake fantasy land, you know, fantasy amusement park so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Can we take the magic and spread it out in the real world so that the real world becomes better? By us taking this magic and distributing it, uh, you know, everywhere, you know, by building, you know, magical Disney hotels and restaurants and hospitals and schools and cruises. Why haven't they done casinos? Maybe one day. I really think that Vegas, you know, you need a family-friendly casino. Yeah. But, But, Walt, maybe that would have been next. I mean, that was his idea with Florida was to make, you know, a fantasy flavored. Everything you know, a, a Disney school and you know okay. Disney universities and you know everything would be Disney. And the moral of the story is that well, that didn't quite prove to be as profitable as just keep yeah. you know keeping you know cranking out the Disney. And then the the final thing of the trilogy with the new book, People versus Disneyland, was bringing it to modern day and saying Disney had to surrender. <laughs> In the, at the end of the day, they realized that they could not continue with this, uh, you know, enclave of you know this protected, hermetically sealed land of fantasy that mm-hmm. reality, you know, was invading, and there was no way to keep it out. And they had to adapt, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of create this hybrid of reality-flavored fantasy or yeah. fantasy, whatever it is now, is not the magic it was before. Yeah. Well, and it's it's almost. You know, it's almost a self-destroying prophecy because the the people who are your best uh, asset, your really most diehard fans, uh, are sometimes a liability because you know when you look at the, the overcrowding in the parks or the social groups with the you know the biker motifs mm-hmm. or whatever the things are, you know it kind of works against you when you hit a certain level where you have a fanaticism. Right. And that fanaticism may be a, a 1%, but then the other 99 looks at it and goes, well, that's a little too uh, obsessive for me. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you do engage and you do get the people, you know, involved. I, the, the analogy that I would go off of is I, I kind of saw Mouse Tales as a painting. I saw Reality Land as a fine art photograph. This felt like a sculpture. Because it felt like you were adding on little bits and pieces of all this information of clay, and when you were done shaping it, here's what the end result was. And that was that was different than I felt Mouse Tales was very here's a, an idyllic scene painted by a master. Reality lands, let's take a realism of it and take a photograph that's black and white and maybe is a you know captured in still life. But th- this felt like you were showing what the creation was, and that oh, was really interesting. It was yeah. a really nice feel. Well, to good, it. good. Well, that's yeah. uh, I didn't view it that way, but that's, no, no, that, but that, that completely makes sense. And you know how, how a sculpture is a little more three D, is a little more <laughs> yeah, 
I can see that. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing: your your the book came out six weeks ago. Right. Uh, you've done probably you know a couple dozen interviews. Oh, Mil- dozen, yes. <laughs> it feels like millions. No, I, I wanted love to, every love everyone. I wanted to catch you at the end because I figured your answers would be, would be really well rehearsed by this point. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for answering asking questions that I've never heard before. Oh, no, this is this is good. No. Well, that was part of what I when I went in and thinking about you know what to sit and talk about. I really did want to try to not take the easy angles. Good, because I think that you know you're going to get asked that by by you know other people who are interviewing, and you know you're at the end of it now. You've digested, you've you felt. What's the reaction been? I mean, I'm, have it's you, been good. The feedback has uh, been really good on it. It has been uh, uh, all positive, and except from Disney, which has been uh, radio silence. I mean, that's which that's, is which that's is that's great. Typical. Yeah, which I have no problem. They told me early on with my books, just so you know, if anybody asks, we're going to say we've heard of your stuff, but we've never read any of it, so. Just so you know, we read it, but we can't help I, promote it. I, I, and I said, um, a okay with that. Uh, I, I know that I have uh, fans in Disney legal. I've, I've, <laughs> I have been listened to uh, regularly. I'm, good, good. It's good that they've helped my subscriber numbers. Yeah. So. But, you know, it's good. besides being the first non-skipper I had on the podcast, which, big honor there. Now okay. Are there many? Are there many non-skippers? Uh, actually, you're, you're actually only one of two. Oh. Uh, I did a recording with a guy named Trevor Allen, who does a one-man show called Working for the Mouse. Oh, I've heard of the show. And uh, he's at Burning Man, uh, which will be way over by the time this this posts, but he's actually doing the show at Burning Man this week, mm. which I think is a bizarre, interesting you yeah. know, choice. Um, but I have some others. We're actually going to talk to a few other people. Okay, We're starting nice. to branch out into that. But um, but no, I mean, you're. it's by far my most popular episode was the one with you. It's, it's at least double, if not triple, the number of any other episode I've done. Excellent. Well, that's, uh, uh, which I think speaks to your fan base, but also because it's it's an engaging topic. You know, maybe so, or maybe they listen to me and go, "That's enough." When I listen, I, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope that's they, not. They it. get to you and then they stop listening yes. to the podcast. <laughs> that's great. Thanks, Dave. That's, yeah. uh, I, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to help you. Yes, yes. Well, after my stupid uh, you know, sculpture analogy, <laughs> no, I thought no, that was fascinating. Um, but yeah, no, no, I fully enjoyed. It. I said I've been a fan uh, of the books for twenty plus years, and I'm glad that we've gotten a chance to run into each other in this crazy culture of D twenty three. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> that good. was madness. It was, it was good. You know, the one thing, and I'll say this: I, I couldn't, as much as I enjoyed every minute I was at D twenty three, I couldn't understand how people who have perfected cues over the it, over sixty years across the street. You know, walk. You know, walk on the other yeah. side of Cattell, and suddenly they've forgotten everything they ever knew. Um, yeah, I mean, I my tweet when I was in line because uh, I was in the non-special people line, not the non-gold and silver person line, and I was lined up at seven. I was able to join some friends, and we were maybe twenty spots from the head of the line. Right. So I was lucky and happy I was there. Um, lined up at seven, we were let in an hour and a half after we were supposed to have been let in. Oh my goodness! Uh, we got in at eleven thirty. Oh my goodness! Um, I had one hour before stage pass opened, and I went and saw you, and I saw a couple of my other, you know, compod- the Sweep Spot podcast right, guys. Right. We have a great book out. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to actually good. have him on the show, Lynn, talking about his uh, uh, Cleaning the Kingdom book. Um, then I had to get in another line, which was to get queued up for the. The show pass, which was an hour and a half wait to get that pass, 
Uh, and then I had to go upstairs and get in the line for the Jungle Cruise panel, which was almost an hour. By the end of the day, I had I had been in lines almost seven hours to see wow. a one-hour panel, and I paid seventy-five dollars for it. And you know, it it um, it was tough. It was it was yeah. a tough experience for me. That's uh, not probably. But, um, well, you know, look, I'm not a Disney basher. I, I do think I mean, the tweet that I had in the line when I was on Twitter was I said, you know, it's a shame that they uh, couldn't have consulted with someone who has 60 years of experience in, in mm. doing cues. Look, they could have at least been selling stuff for having a, you know, uh, a, a water, you know, <laughs> people selling bottled water going up and yes. down the lines as it was 90 degrees at 8 yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it didn't feel like Disney. It didn't feel like it definitely did not have the magic mm-hmm. in the line system. Yeah, which is too bad because uh, I guess through the and week that was they, Friday. That wasn't even like the busy day. That was yeah. Well, yeah. they they seem to start from scratch every year with that D twenty three as if they learn nothing from yeah. the previous shows, and then by the end of the show they've got it all down, and you think, okay, well next year's perfect because well, they know. But it's two years. That's two years, maybe. Yeah, it's that's the two year stretch. So maybe so, maybe so. But you no, know, but there were entertaining things, and I love seeing some of the Star Wars costumes. Right. And you know, look, uh, more than anything, I loved uh, meeting people. You know, I had my other one of my other Jungle Cruise um, T-shirts on, and people recognized me from the show, which I thought was amazing. They recognized the logo. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I thought it was. It was yeah, they didn't recognize my voice. Yeah, I was that thinking that would have been. Pretty uh, cool. There were some great Jungle Cruise costumes. Uh, there was a couple of guys who had built a, uh, a Jungle Cruise boat out of PVC. I saw the boat. Exactly. I saw and it. And they were going fantastic. with a microphone and spieling the floor. Mm. There was a young lady who did uh, all of the jungle in her cosplay. She had uh, water legs, she had blue legs, and then she had uh, plants, and she had the canopy, the red and white canopy as a belt. Wow. Didn't and a jungle that. skipper top with a microphone, and then she was going to have the backside of water as a headpiece, but I guess that didn't work out. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you the picture. Oh, yeah. I want to see that. Um but yeah, no, we're still keeping on. We're still putting up uh, four to five days a week of vintage photographs, and try to and, and also just jungle, interesting jungle things. Okay. Uh, so facebook slash jungle cruise c r e w s for that stuff uh, for our pod, for our website. But let's chat about Mouse Planet. You do a, a monthly column there, yeah, now? about once every month or plus, so. Plus little tidbits, yeah, little little blog posts and stuff as as little things happen. I, I don't get uh, as much time to. To do full-length articles uh, uh, quite as often as I like to. But, well, you uh, were researching a book for yeah. How long was the research? Three years? About three, three and a half years. Yeah, from the, about the three, the research and writing about three years, and then about a half a year just getting it, getting yeah. it out. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and more to come. Yep. Um, so yeah, so uh, mouseplanet.com for your writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book, of course, through Amazon. The people, the Disneyland. Uh, how lawsuits and lawyers transform the magic. It's, it's, it's a different magic. It's, it's it still, is. It's still magic. It's it is just, still magic. It's just the uh, the pixie dust is now eye safe. You know, they have safety <laughs> goggles for the pixie dust, so <laughs> you don't get too much in your eyes. Very so. good. Uh, thanks, as always. You know, it's uh, in re-listening to our episode, I think the thing that I, uh, besides humility, which I've learned over the last three years uh, at times, um, is that uh, the more that I the more that I learn, the more that I know that I don't know. And particularly about this subject, um, man, I don't know a lot. Uh, and I, I'm reminded of that often by oh. listeners when I screw up facts. <laughs> but no, but just in general, you know, it's, it, uh, it, I come out of every interview that I do realizing that there's so much more to, to know and understand. And 
uh, your books are a great part of you know filling in those gaps, but also saying to me, you know what, uh, this is just we're just chatting, we're having conversations. This is a you know this isn't a giant history project. This is just chatting with interesting people and you know having a good hour of entertainment every couple of weeks. So. But yeah, I appreciate it. It's been it's always a great association. My pleasure. I we'll do it again our, in three years. Uh, hopefully, uh, if that's what it takes you, do you have a concept for your next book? Uh, I do. I don't. Uh, I, I'm working with uh, uh, the last uh, person who ever retired. The last original uh, employee of Disneyland to retire from Disneyland is doing a book uh, that I'm working with him on about you know the original people mm-hmm. the sort of the pioneers of, mm-hmm. of Disneyland um, I have with a lot of I have photos and I have stories. four 1955 skippers that I'll get you the info on I have two more uh, early skippers that'll oh, be on okay. the show in the next couple wow. months so. okay that sounds so great I'll get you some good uh, feedback and some good uh, contact info Excellent. well David it's always a pleasure I, I really thank you for taking the time we ran a little longer than I normally do with you but I look it's it's great uh Great uh, content because you know it's it's good books. Super, and, and if it's too long, you could always cut it down to you know instead of the ten hours that we spent talking to something. Yeah, I don't know whatever like, turns out to be. You know, yeah, like you know maybe two forty-minute episodes. Like that, be, yeah, because yeah. really, it's after five days of chatting with you like this, I'll just slice it down to the best pieces. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, make it make it I, and, sound good. And uh, at some point when you retire, I really think you should get a job as a Jungle Cruise skipper. I can see you out there. Uh, I could. I don't know if management would uh, agree, but I, <laughs> yeah, I think after, I would not mind. After writing the books, it might be a little hard to walk in the TDA and uh, <laughs> drop an application there. But yes, uh, well, maybe so. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, Kungaloosh, everyone. We'll see you guys in two weeks.